Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's better than this? Guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Monday edition of the show. It is August 6th, 2018, a date that's been marked in our calendars for a long, long time because it is officially the the inaugural day of the Draft Network being a live website. You can go there right now, thedraftnetwork.com and see the fruits of our labor, something we've been talking about for a long time on this show. So we're obviously going to talk about some of that today, get into our segments. But uh, Kyle, welcome to this very happy Monday. What a time to be alive. The Draft Network is here. And Joe, we are back. We originally started doing our podcasting careers as members of the Locked On Podcast Network, as Locked On NFL Draft, which is now hosted by our teammates, John Ledyard and Trevor Sykema. Well, Joe, the news broke over this past weekend that uh, the boys are back in town. Draft Dudes has been picked up by the Locked On Network. So we have two of the greatest draft and football podcast on the face of the planet under the same roof. Pretty exciting, Kyle. You know, uh, I remember a couple years ago, our initial conversation with David Locke, uh, the, uh, the the fantastic owner of the Locked On Podcast Network, talking to him about a daily NFL draft podcast and trying to convince him that it was a worthwhile endeavor for him. And Obviously, there's been great success with the Locked On NFL Draft podcast. And now the Locked On Network features not one, but two draft-centric podcasts. And uh, I'm pretty pretty excited about this and, and really excited about some of the uh, the collaborations we're going to do with our buddies Trevor and uh, and John. And uh, you guys have a lot to look forward to as listeners with, uh, with all of these resources working together to provide unparalleled coverage of the NFL Draft in the podcast world. So now that we've gotten our breaking news out of the way, I suppose it's time to tackle some of the breaking news in the world of football over the course of the past week. Uh, Joe, my news came from Sunday afternoon in which John Gruden proceeded to throw Martavis Bryant under the bus saying, quote, he's got to get out here and play better. Uh, Bryant, who was traded for a third-round pick, uh, foolishly, I may add to the Pittsburgh or from the Pittsburgh Steelers to the Oakland Raiders. Uh, Gruden has not had a glowing review thus far, saying he's in a competitive situation right now. There's another, uh, a lot of other receivers that have had a nice camp. He's just got to learn the offense. Uh oh, that's uh, color me stunned that Martavis Bryant may not be putting his best foot forward 
to ingratiate himself and, and be the teammate he needs to be, Joe. But uh, we're off to a rocky start here in Oakland for Martavis Bryant. And uh, if the Raiders have proven anything, it's, uh, it doesn't matter what they've invested in you. If you're not going to make them happy, you're going to pay, as evidenced by Khalil Mack and his contract situation. I think more and more in the NFL, you're seeing this brotherhood, this, this sense of family with these teams – and it's such a critical component of being a good football team is being a, a group of 53 great teammates. And so, look, Martavis Bryant uh, needs to learn to become a great teammate and um, or else he's going to continue to be an outcast and, and never be able to really capitalize on his tremendous physical gifts. Kyle, the big uh, the big news story for me over the weekend was this Kelvin Benjamin thing. Uh, you know, he came out uh, in an interview with uh, Tim Graham from the athletic and and he was interviewing Calvin Benjamin and Benjamin said, quote, I mean, I felt like I would have been more successful if I don't know, man, if I would have looking back on it, I should have just been drafted by somebody else. I should have never went to Carolina. Truly. I just think Carolina was bad for me. It was a bad fit from the get go. If you would have put me with any other quarterback, let's be real. You know what I'm saying? Any other accurate quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. Eli Manning or Big Ben, anybody, quarterbacks with knowledge that know how to place a ball and give you a better chance to catch the ball, it just felt like I wasn't in that position. End quote. You know, this is really but kind of a bizarre comment for Calvin Benjamin to make for so many reasons. Number one, the Bills played the Panthers on Thursday night in preseason opener. So there's no reason to to create that target on on Calvin uh, in a preseason game. who We'll see if he plays or not. But uh, it just seems unnecessary. Like, the, you, you heard Sean McDermott, the head coach of the Bills, reflect on this, and he was asked questions about it. And he just didn't, he didn't think that there was a place for those comments right now. And, and I just don't know what the point was. Calvin Benjamin was traded last year from the Panthers to the Bills. Um, and, and the Panthers historically have been a much better football team when Benjamin's not in the lineup, you look at the comparison of their records. I mean, it's they actually have a losing record when Calvin Benjamin plays and an overwhelming uh, winning record when he doesn't play. And to call out Cam Newton for what? What's the point? You're not teammates anymore. It's in the past. Move on. You certainly don't have more accurate quarterbacks in Buffalo with this, this trio of A.J. McCarron, Nate Peterman, and Josh Allen. So good luck. But I uh, just felt like these – these comments were oddly timed, oddly placed, and at the bottom line, just unnecessary. I'm not going to lie. I laughed my ass off. <laughs> I know, because I read them to you for, when you heard them for the first time. And yeah, Holy that's true. Yeah, man. I said to you, I said, you know, you don't typically see NFL players throw each other under the bus like this. But that's exactly like Kelvin uh, threw Cam out in, in oncoming traffic, went out got in his truck, ran him over, threw it in reverse, ran him over again. Like these were brutal comments to make. And um, yeah, like you said, it's it was kind of out of left field a little bit where it wasn't even, you know, it wasn't even like this was Kelvin's first year leaving Carolina. You know, he Kelvin's had a whole year in Buffalo now to kind of put this behind him and move on. Uh, so I do agree with you that it was – Felt a little odd that you're harboring this much ill will this long after the fact. But, uh, you know, Kelvin's best year was with Cam throwing him the ball. So he should probably chill out a little bit until he has another good year before he starts talking too much trash. Yeah. Now he's, uh, 
he's he's got a a big uh, season here to perform. He's he's in a contract year, coming off of another knee injury. Uh, so Benjamin, good luck this season, sir. Uh, last thing I want to touch on news-wise, Kyle, is uh, came through on Sunday afternoon the extension handed out from the Philadelphia Eagles to head coach Doug Peterson, general manager Howie Roseman. They are now connected and tied to the organization through 2022. So they're in year two of this regime. Eagles are 20 and 12 with uh, with that leadership at the helm and, of course, the, the Super Bowl championship this past season. And so now this leadership is is intact at least through 2022. Um, I guess that's just what you do, right? You have this type of success. You make sure that the leadership behind that success is connected for a long time. And, um, you know, we did our uh, our draft anything over the summer and, and we picked – uh, you know, head coaches, we went through and drafted all 32 head coaches. And for me, the top pick was Doug Peterson. I think he was a number two pick in the draft. I think you took Sean Payton number one, but uh, makes a lot of sense to uh, with, with the magic of the 2017 season and the roster construction from Roseman and, and just the, the, the creativity and, and innovative style that Peterson has employed. Uh, I, I think this is just great to, to solidify this and have that continuity for years to come. Yeah. And I think the, the quote from Jeffrey Lurie that really stood out was talking about how the thing they learned the most from Howie was the immense amount of collaborative effort that was required for success. And uh, a lot of teams have a hard time with that because a lot of teams there's jostling for job security and there's egos involved. And, you know, maybe the general manager was there before the coach or the coach was there before the general manager. And, you know, that holdover wants to position themselves and, you know, they feel like they're behind the eight ball because they've been there longer. So success doesn't get like, it's really messy in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So getting those two guys in sync with one another and, and having that harmony for two years was paramount for the Eagles to, to really make sure that everybody's on the same page. We're targeting the same types of players. And you would think it would be a little easier for that to be something that takes place across the league, but it's not. And uh, that, that's why you see special seasons like what the Eagles had last year coming to fruition every once in a while. Kyle, let's move on to our next segment on this Monday, which is surprise standout. It's our, so excuse me, surprise standouts. It's our Monday specific segment where Kyle and I are going to talk about some of the things that we've seen recently in the football world that stood out to us. Now, it could be good. It could be bad. Uh, but uh, we've got a couple here each that we're going to bring to the table. Kyle, I will give you honors on this. Thanks, man. Uh, I want to talk about my dude Kamali Correa from the Baltimore Ravens in the Hall of Fame game. Now, it is a little bit of a red flag to see a guy who's that high up on the death chart playing deep into the, the third quarter of the first preseason game. But I liked what I saw from Correa because they've moved him back up onto the line of scrimmage with some more frequency. You had a chance to see him standing up and playing two-point uh, position off the uh, the end of the line of scrimmage. And uh, Correa, that's where he played predominantly at Boise State, and I thought he had good tape there. Now, granted, he didn't meet some of the prototypical measures that you're looking for in a guy that's going to stand up outside, but uh, I really appreciated Correa's uh, physicality for being an undersized guy and giving him that space really allowed him to put offensive tackles on their heels a little bit. And uh, you saw Correa fly around the ball. He did some nice things in pass coverage as well when he was actually off the ball position. He uh, nearly intercepted a pass on a stick route 
that the uh, the quarterback threw a little bit too far inside, uh, but he still drove on that ball fairly well. And uh, seeing those kinds of, of flashes from Kamali Correa, who has yet to really make his mark in the NFL, as somebody who was high on his skills, uh, that excited me. And I was excited to see uh, that they were giving him an opportunity to stand up because it wasn't something he's been afforded a lot. Kyle, I want to keep things here, uh, reflecting on that Hall of Fame game from last Thursday night. And uh, a guy on that Chicago defense that really popped was Isaiah Irving. He's an edge defender for them. And when you talk Chicago Bears and you you get into uh, some conversations with some of their fans and people that cover the team, one of the biggest concerns is having enough pass rush. You know, it's, it's Leonard Floyd and then uh, not much, right? So, you know, I'm not saying Isaiah Irving's going to be that that answer for, you know, a big season and solidify having bookend pass rushers in Chicago, but you can't help but notice how good he played on, on uh, Thursday night last week. And, you know, he had uh, two really notable pass rush reps where he showed good get off and, and, and nice uh, ability to soften a rush angle and, and work his hips around the corner and, and had a sack and uh, had another good pressure. And he had three tackles as well. And, you know, you, you look back at him in college because I didn't, I wasn't familiar with him before, um, Thursday night. So I did some, some background work on him. He had a pretty good senior year there at San Jose state, relatively unproductive his first three seasons. Uh, but had, you know, like double digit tackles for losses, a senior seven and a half sacks, but he's, he's kind of a modest athlete. You know, he's six, three, two fifty five, four, eight, seven, 40 yard dash seven, two, four, three cone, four, three, four, 20 yard shuttle. I mean, not, not anything that's going to turn any head. So I, you know, it's, it's interesting. A guy that wasn't overly productive across his career in college, Pretty modest uh, uh, results from his pro day at San Jose State, but uh, certainly looked good against you know the reserves from the Baltimore Ravens, and uh, he'll be interesting to monitor going throughout the rest of the preseason. It's something you got to be cautious about because you know it seems like every year there's a couple guys that just ball out in the preseason, particularly as pass rushers. But you know the, the variance between starting offensive tackles and back up to third and fourth string offensive tackles is so high in the NFL. And, um, you know, you have to you have to take it with a grain of salt. But uh, for one game, at least, I was very surprised that Isaiah Irving stood out. Uh, you said the variance between first and second string tackles and third and fourth string tackles. There's some teams that can't even get two good tackles on the same team. S- starting so. lineup. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other, my other standout is Javon Wims. Uh, surprise standout. Wims went seven for eighty nine. And uh, he's somebody that I talked about in my column today of Studs and Duds, which is now available to be read at thedraftnetwork.com. Highly recommend you swing over, check that out, talk about Wims a little bit. But I'll kind of give you guys a synopsis of of why I thought he was a stud from this uh, Hall of Fame game. And it wasn't the stat line that did it. It was more the manner in which he did it. And, you know, before we get too excited about what we've seen from Javon Wims, you saw a player that took the style of play that he had in college and he won in this preseason game exactly the same way. He beat the tar out of defensive backs at the catch point. It's always been his MO. So two-year player at University of Georgia transferred in and uh, he is a very effective 50-50 ball back shoulder throw Contested catch, possession-style receiver. Uh, Really liked seeing him come back and pluck that back shoulder throw up the sideline in this game and had a a nice big chunk gain uh, for a player that had 
some athleticism's concerns. Um, I thought he did just fine showing that the way he addresses the football at the catch point, that late reaction, those that hand-eye coordination, those strong hands, you don't need to be a great separator if you have that ability to win in contested situations. So for Wims, he's got to parlay this into strong performances throughout the preseason. He's got to pick Allen Robinson's brain for anything and everything that Allen will give him as far as running routes, being a diverse wide receiver. And uh, he's got to show he can do it against better competition. But on this night, last Thursday, Wims was a standout because I thought he was a steal when the draft came and went. And I think he's going to be a steal based on what we saw now with it being his first taste of game action. Let this guy establish some chemistry with Mitch Trubisky and look out because I think he's got a translatable skill set. Yeah, that was exciting to see. I was a big fan of Wims as well uh, coming out last year. Uh, Kyle, my last surprise standout was a big surprise for me. Um, I traveled down to Spartanburg, South Carolina on Sunday to take in Carolina Panthers training camp practice. And one of the things I identified throughout the course of the summer and, and particularly in preparing to watch that practice was, you know, the Panthers have a pretty good starting quarterback in Cam Newton. But then you look at his, their backup quarterback situation, and I'm really surprised that they haven't done anything to address it because right now their backups are Garrett Gilbert, Tyler Henneke, and, and uh, Kyle Allen. And you, so you look at that, those three and say, if Cam goes down, season's over. It's done, right? Like you put a fork in it, that's going to be difficult to envision them winning a game the rest of the year. So I wanted to pay close attention to Gilbert specifically because, you know, he's been in the league for a while. He's a, a six-round draft pick in 2014. He was on the Rams, Patriots, Lions, Raiders, and ultimately the Panthers starting last year. So he's, you know, he's got some time in the NFL, at least being around teams and, and in NFL uh, meeting rooms and those types of things, but not a whole lot of live reps. And so, you know, they're counting on him to be the backup, the number one backup to Cam Newton for a team that, you know, the, the expectations of Carolina Panthers is that they're going to they're going to compete for the NFC South and make the playoffs. I think that's a reasonable explanation for them or expectation for them under Ron Rivera. And that's just kind of the standard they've created. But uh, so I, I, I paid very close attention to Gilbert and I came away thinking, wow, mate, you know what? Look, Carolina must, they knew him. They knew that was their guy as their backup. And, and so they didn't do anything to address it. Derek Anderson wasn't re-signed. They didn't bring in anyone else. And so, you know, ev- evidently they, they were familiar and comfortable with him being the number two. And I, I, I kind of saw why in that practice, I thought he did a really good job executing the offense with the twos. Uh, he made some really nice window throws. You can tell he has a pretty good command of the huddle and the offense. And there were some really nice touch throws, you know, even in, in, in the, uh, on the deep outs and working the middle of the field. And and he just, he looked like a capable NFL quarterback, which was something I didn't necessarily uh, expect to see. So uh, I'm going to be paying close attention to him over the course of the preseason to see if, you know, uh, if, if that continues and it makes me realize, Oh, well, you know, look, they knew what they were doing. They knew they had Gilbert who's better than I anticipated, but uh, uh, for something that I was very concerned about going into the practice and looking at the Panthers roster and thinking about them going into the season, their backup quarterback situation, I at least for now feel a lot better about that. Joe, should we just keep this line moving here and start getting into some summer flings? Does that sound good to you? Yeah, let's keep uh, it moving. In honor of your time spent at Carolina training camp, I think it's time to just keep pounded on this itinerary. And we're just transition right over. We're doing summer flings. This is a series we started at the beginning of last week. 
We are continuing it now. We're talking about players that we've fallen head over heels for at various positions throughout the course of our summer studies for uh, the end product, which you see now, which is the prospect database and the player profiles and the film notes and the big boards and et cetera, et cetera, over at the draft network. Uh, So checking out the wide receiver position throughout my personal film studies. Uh, There's some interesting players here, Joe. I wanted to talk about a guy, but you strong-armed me, and I respect you for it, so I'm going (laughs) to let you have it. I'm going to talk about Stanley Morgan Jr. from Nebraska. He's a guy I talked briefly about when we had uh, Brad Kelly on the podcast a couple weeks ago, talking about kind of his skill set, specifically his route-running skills, And I don't think there's anybody in the Big Ten, and there's not too many guys at the college level in general, who can match his route running skills entering the 2018 college football season. Uh, Morgan is not a big player. He's not Javon Wims, who's 6'3", 215. He's about six foot. Uh, He's pretty lean. He's not super physical. But he knows how to win with his feet. He knows how to win with his hands. And he knows how to win with his eyes. So he's got a lot of different things that he can do to lie to you as a defensive back, force you to take that hinge step the wrong way or sell that vertical route before really sitting down and coming back to the line of scrimmage. Uh, The one area of his game that I do want to see him get better at is physical corners can pin him into the sideline. He can lose his leverage and cannot recover. But this guy on in-breaking patterns, deep patterns, post patterns, uh, stuff across the middle of the field, uh, contested catch situations and, and and things that test his catch radius. Uh, these were all areas that I saw a lot of promising things from Stanley Morgan Jr. And Lord knows with Tanner Lee throwing him the football last year, he had some balls that tested his catch radius, let me tell you. So uh, Morgan is was number two in the Big Ten in receiving yards. He just, like 10 yards, just missed 1,000 yards. Uh, DJ Moore was the only player who did eclipse that figure. He went in the first round to the keep pounding Panthers. Uh, So Morgan, from a production standpoint, is the highest profile player in the Big Ten. Uh, Really exciting athlete in the open field, and he pairs it with polish. So I think there's enough here that we can really start to get excited about Stanley Morgan, especially considering, you know, regardless who's the trigger man of Scott Frost's offense, uh, you have to figure from a schematic standpoint they're going to be able to generate open looks based on just the number of ways that they're going to test defenses because that's what you saw UCF have so much success with last year. Kyle, uh, that's a great quote. (laughs) Uh, You said Stanley Morgan had Tanner Lee as his quarterback last season, so you know his catch radius was tested. (laughs) Yikes. Oh, Tanner Lee. Not correct. Uh, He was drafted, right? He was a draft pick. Yes, he's drafted by the Jaguars. Kurt, Kurt, of course, it was the Jaguars. Kurt Banker, not a draft pick. Uh, who's a Marshall kid that was kind of good? Chase Litton, not a draft pick. Chase Litton, no. But Danny Etling and Tanner Lee were 27, they just, 2018 NFL draft picks. They just look like they sure do. They tell you, they sure do. Uh, okay, so I have a quarterback that, or excuse me, a wide receiver that I have a summer fling going with, and it's pretty strong, Kyle. Me and Kelvin mm-hmm. Harmon. Wide receiver, North Carolina State. We have a thing going because he's a damn good football player. Um, uh, Speaking of 1,000-yard seasons, he was one of just two in the ACC last year to eclipse that 1,000-yard mark. And uh, uh, he's got a really exciting NFL skill set. set. Um, He's a good route runner. He's a fluid mover. He's got quick feet in and out of his breaks. 
Really like how he uh, maintains his leverage throughout his stem and knows how to attack that leverage, create separation. Um, knows how to to work against zone coverage and find space and sit down. Um, really good ball skills. If you want a guy that can not only separate but win in those contested situations and elevate and go get the football, things kind of slow down for him. He just has a lot of concentration and he just extends and plucks the football. And he's six three two thirteen, so he's got the frame to uh, to accentuate his ability to go get the football. Uh, he's got some ups. He's got some hops. What's the word? Bunnies? Is that it? Bunnies? He's got bunnies, Kyle. Yeah, he got them bunnies. He got bunnies. No, he got them bunnies. Um, and uh, he does. You know, he uses that frame. He knows how to establish that at the catch point, and uh, you know, he can. He just like he can dig it out. He can. He can extend left, right, up, down. It doesn't matter. So you just love a guy with that natural receiving skill set, and um, you know, you think about this NC State offense, and and you know, Ryan Finley's back for a third season as a starting quarterback. There's Stephen Lewis. There's Jacoby Myers and, and Calvin Harmon. So the, the infrastructure is really in place for this to be a, a very dynamic passing offense in Raleigh this year. And uh, Harmon, you know, I think he's got a tremendous skill set that's going to, you know, make him one of the best two, three guys in the class, arguably, you know, if he winds up declaring. And uh, I have a comp. I have a comp for, for Calvin Harmon. I don't know if you're going to like it or not. But here it is. I'm going to put it okay. out there, and I want your authentic reaction, Kyle, because I know okay. you've done some work on Kelvin Harmon, and I know that you're familiar with this comparison that I'm about to make. And to me, Kelvin Harmon compares favorably to the Louisville version of Devontae Parker. Thoughts? Ooh. No? Um, it's hard because I know the NFL version of Devontae Parker. Not yeah, but see, I didn't. I didn't think Louisville Devontae played and addressed the ball particularly well, and played it aggressively either. Now I can see from an athletic standpoint and the big playability and and getting down the field. And Devontae had those flashes, but that's what made Devontae so frustrating. Was because for every time he came back to the ball and high pointed that sucker, he had three balls where he just kind of throws his hands up on his numbers under his chin and expects it to drop into him. It's like, dude, you're 6'4". Yeah, Go get it. I think that is the key divider between those guys, but I see a lot of physical similarities between those two guys. Yeah, that's what popped. You know, I'm watching – it's like the mannerisms. Mm-hmm. It's it's the size movement mm-hmm. blend that they offer. You don't see guys that are that, I guess, fluid in and out of, in and out of breaks for, you know, 6'3", over 210 type guys. I know even Parker's even bigger, so – uh, yeah, no, I don't. Yeah, it's a good point. Harmon's not as frustrating at the catch point consistently like you saw from uh, from from Parker, when, and that's obviously plagued him in his NFL career. But um, yeah, it's it's the movement, it's the stylistic mannerisms, and the way that they they go about their work in terms of their size and route running. Any final thoughts for the folks before we sign off this first locked on episode of the Draft Dudes Podcast? Uh, no, I think you're going to touch on all of my all of my closing thoughts here in your outro here. So I'll yeah, let you do that. I've got it down to a system at this point. Uh, we would like to thank the Draft Network and the Locked On Podcast Network for the opportunity to bring uh, our voices, our platform to hopefully what will become our biggest and best audience yet. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed the format of today's show. We're keeping these things a little quicker. We're keeping the line moving. We are, as we said earlier, hashtag keep pounding on this podcast, getting as much information as we can out to keep the line moving, keep you guys engaged as you're driving to work, 
working out, doing cardio, trying to pass the time, uh, waiting for the clock to strike five so you can get out of the office and go to happy hour, whatever that is. We hope we can be there for you, and we hope you guys enjoyed today's show. If, if so, make sure you hit that subscribe button, follow along with us. Uh, do us a favor, make the draftnetwork.com your homepage on your web browser. That would be terrific because there's going to be a ton of stuff on a daily basis over there. We are hoping every time you go over there, you're going to get a different and unique experience. We kindly encourage you and challenge you to prove us wrong in that regard because we think uh, we are up to the task. I am Kyle Krabs at Grinding the Tape on Twitter, signing off with Joe Marino at the Joe Marino on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening to the Draft Dudes podcast. We will talk with you all again tomorrow. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 